As we're going to get to hear a message from Clint Hill today, uh, branch minister now at uh, Brookside Park Plaza Branch, a uh, big brother, a guy who's meant a lot to me, so we're going to pray over this message. Almighty Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for uh, your love for us. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you that you have taken us from darkness to light and from yeah. what we've got to experience and hear this week. Yeah. Lord, I know this man's heart. And I know that he wants to say everything that you would have him to say. Give him the courage to say it all, Lord, and give us open hearts that we would hear this message and respond and leave different than we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Brent. Appreciate that, man. Good morning. Man, what a beautiful, it is an amazing day. Uh, what a wonderful day, and just it's, and just this light topic. And I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm still on the high from last night of how powerful in, in how hearing those testimonies and how Robert's message mixed in with the worship. And I mean, for, oh, it was amazing. It was such an amazing night. Had a phenomenal, amazing time. I hope you did too. Um, you know, I have, uh, you know, as, we, as I was preparing this, as we were getting in it and everything, the Lord told me to confess something that uh, I don't usually like confessing, all right? I'm not usually, I, I don't usually like to, to say these things. If you know anything about my past, you know uh, that I've had a lot of jobs, all right? I have had a lot of ins and outs, a lot of jobs. You know, I was a comedian. Uh, I got to be on Broadway. You know, I was casted for shows. Uh, I went to L.A. and got on t- some, you know, I, I got cast for a couple TV shows down there. Um, and I, I got I, you know, a lot of really interesting stuff. I was a modeling director for Vogue. Uh, not director, uh, kind of a teacher. And so all I did, because believe it or not, I've had two years of ballet. All I did was incorporate ballet and walk. I know, I know you're like, you had ballet? Like, yeah, I know, it's crazy to me too, you know? But I was usually the tree, let's just be honest. I wasn't the guy who did the pirouettes or anything. I was the guy that dressed in all black and the girl that weared, weighed like 75 pounds, I'd be like... That was, what, that was my job. One thing that I, I don't like to confess is uh, I was in a band, all right? Uh, I know. And, and that, that's a fuzzy picture of me, but that's the closest that I can get because I burned them all. Uh, of me with, with semi-long hair, all right? The guy uh, right here in the corner is actually the guy that Kelsey met, and she was like, this is the man I'm going to spend the rest of my life with, you know? So I can probably talk to her about insecurity issues after this, you know? But uh, <laughs> no, you know, this is the... When I first met Kelsey's ki- or, uh, nieces and nephews, uh, they, they, they called me Jack Black because that's what they thought I looked like. So uh, that picture doesn't do that justice very much because it's fuzzy. And then that was me at a, a wedding that the band did a, a gig at and everything. And so, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a fun time. We had a good time. Uh, it was a worship band, believe it or not. And uh, it was around 2002 that I was in this band. What's funny, though, is that I was a non-believer in a worship band. You see, uh, I, I got involved because this group invited me to get involved with them. Uh, they, I was out in the crowd, and I just happened to know the songs that, that some of the songs they were singing because I heard them before when we went to church. And I started singing them, and they were like, hey, do you want to be in the band with us? Because I had this interesting voice, you know? I kind of I think my voice is something like Boy George meets Creed. That's kind of where I am at, you know? <laughs> 
<laughs> one guy gets it. All right, awesome. You know, it's like, and so that's kind of where I am. And and you know, and so they asked me, "Hey, would you like to be in this band?" And I was like, "Absolutely. This sounds awesome." You know, um, and I started like, and you know, I came. I was actually in the crowd because there was a girl I liked. That's nothing new, you know. And uh, and I wanted to get to know her, and she went to church, and so I went to church because that's where she was going. Um, and we started. You know, I was I was up in the band and everything, and I was like, "Ah, oh, these guys are the leaders." These guys are the leaders of the band, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're the, going to be the people who, who sing and, and lead the songs, so they're going to be authentic people. And I realized that the people that I was in the band that called themselves believers and that on, you know, Wednesday and Tuesdays, sometimes Saturdays and sometimes Sundays, we would sing these songs to God, but they didn't really believe. Because when we didn't have a gig on Saturday night, I was getting drunk with them on Saturday night. And I was the unbeliever. They didn't live authentic, visual, or relational lives with the light. This band was about egos, and it wasn't about God. I was a non-believer there, and so what I started to do, because to get back at the band, I kind of got mad at them, because I thought they would be different. And I was already of the world, so what I started to do is I started to sleep up with the backup singers, because that's my way of getting back. Um, I had a past that was abusive, and that's how I got back at him. Is I, uh, you know, and then it found out that it came to a head that all this was happening, and um, they they let me go. And the girl that that uh, the the and the girls that we were, and they let us all go. I was totally clouded by the darkness. And don't miss this. I was in church where people thought I was the leader because I was singing songs. And it was only by title. It was not by life. And the people around me were the exact same way. The darkness was in charge. So not always the people who, who, who are in those positions are the people that they say they are. Because this group invited me to their unauthentic, invisible spiritual lives, they got a singer, but they lost a soul. I was so hungry to, to know who God was and know what God was doing. And I was so just, I was so wanting relationship. And I wanted it to be different. We got to not remember, not forget this. When we're talking about darkness, guys, we're, we're talking about people in the darkness, let me make that distinction. Darkness doesn't want God. Satan doesn't want God. Demons do not want God. But they want is the people to stay in darkness. So they will do everything and anything in their power to keep them there. They will hurt. They will give you what you want. They will give you they they will they will do anything and everything to keep you from seeing the light. But there's people there, right? There's people in the darkness. There's people out there knowing and knowing their life is in sin, knowing that they need something different, longing for something different, but we can't forget that there's people. I got a little representation right here. This right here is $20 bill. How many people want this $20 bill? Right, hold on. How many people still want this $20 bill? Okay, hold on. How many people still want this $20 bill? Hold on. I ain't doing that. (laughs) 
How many people still want it? You want to know why? Because no matter what was done to it, no matter who owns it, Brent could hold it, I could own it, Brian could hold it, Kyle could hold it, everyone could hold it. And it doesn't change the value of this $20 bill. The people that are in the darkness are people. They're people. And they're hungry and they're thirsty and they're crying for light. And we have to be the people. And, and, and what's sad is we've told them, figure it out. That's what that group told me. Figure it out. You know, I remember being in that group, and at the very end, they, la- they looked at me like, well, you're a Christian. You know these things are wrong. And I was like, I'm not a Christian, actually. They said, whoa, you're not a Christian, and you're singing in a worship band? Yeah. Why didn't you ever tell us, told us that? Because you never asked. You never asked. There's people. And what's the problem with me, and this is talking to me, I see more value in this than I do people. Because someone could be from abused life or from abused past and from hurts and hangups and whatever from their past. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't want anything to do with that. And when God's saying, you don't understand, that's a person. There's people in the darkness. People in the darkness are attracted to the light, but they don't understand the light. Usually because they're clouded by things in the darkness. I remember when someone wanted to, to know me and they wanted to get to know me or they wanted to, to hang out or anything like that. I would always think, and maybe you've been there too, because I've only been a believer for 11 years. Maybe you've been there too when they're like, hey, hey, you, I want to hang out. I want to go do what you, I want to, what do you like to do? And I'm like, whoa, what's the catch? What's the catch? You want to hang out with me? Why, so you can abuse me? So you can take advantage of me? Oh, you want a free meal? No, I just want to be your friend. There's got to be more to it. People in the darkness are jaded, and they don't understand. It says in John 1.5 that light shined in the darkness, and the, but the darkness didn't understand it. How do we help people in the darkness understand in John 1.14, it says, The word became flesh. The flesh made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace. So, what we do is we got to do three things, I believe. All right? Jesus said it like this. What, what are people in the darkness looking for? Uh, go, turn real quick to Matthew 11.28. Jesus says this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That is what people in the darkness are looking for. Two things: they're looking for rest. They're looking for rest when the world is, because the world is exhausted, tired, empty, worn out, angry, yearning, and they're hungry for a change. They're hungry for a God that says, all your problems I can handle. They're hungry for people in your life. Like, <laughs> I'll never forget the conversation I had with Robert Cox. Uh, it was about mm, eight years ago. I went up to the crossings, and it was when we were, y'all were still in that little shopping area, if you remember that. And I was in there, and I was talking to Robert. He just talked about his sexual abuse as a past, because I was sexually abused as a past, in my past. And I asked him, 
I was like, I was like, how do you, you know, I was like, you were abused. He's like, yeah, I was abused by my granddad. And I was like, really, really? And you're not ashamed of it. You're not, you're not. And he was like, no, but why don't you tell me about your abuse? Already knowing where I was. He was the first guy in my life that said, this is not a big deal. God can move past it. My mole, my mountain, God looked at it and went, that's nothing. I can move those. The world is yearning for rest because they're exhausted and tired because the darkness says there's no one out there that's going to get it. When the light says, come to me, all you who are weary, and you'll find what you're looking for. The second thing they're looking for is purpose. People are looking for purpose. That's why there's so many causes out there. Go on, go on Facebook and just type in causes, all right? You will get a hundred different groups. We're digging wells here. We're doing this here. We're doing this there. You know, this is for this movement. This is for this movement. You name it, man. I saw, <laughs> I saw one that was like, save the dolphins. What was really funny about save the dolphins is it was in, located in Phoenix, Arizona. And that's the part that I thought was hilarious. Like, where do you have dolphins? Where is that? The world is so hungry for a purpose that will make one up in an area that doesn't even make sense. They are so hungry for it. Because people are looking for purpose. Notice that Jesus never said, go fix yourself. Make sure you're good enough and you'll come back to me. If we're going to bring people to the light, we got to understand that Jesus told the people who were in the darkness, you're weary, you're heavy, lady, lady, uh, you're heavy burdened, you're laden, come to me. Those are the people. God, he's got to do something before he comes. No, just bring them to me. Because in Jesus, we will find that rest and that purpose. Jesus left purpose, actually, and, and we have this, and this has got to be said right now, because we have people, well, that's not my purpose. You know, I heard this, uh, I, I've heard this in churches a lot, actually. It's like, oh, man, we got to go seek and save the lost. Oh, that's not my purpose. Really? Really? I think we need to look to Jesus to what purpose is, right? I mean, Jesus is what is everything that we're hinged on, right? Right? I mean, Jesus is the one guy that's, that gets it all, right? I mean, he's the one guy that we're like, what would Jesus do? I mean, we used to have it on ra- bracelets and everything. But sadly, we've become so jaded to it that we honestly forget that's exactly what we're supposed to ask. How would Jesus think? What would Jesus do if Jesus peed? Well, if Jesus peed. So where did he do it? What did he do after it? Why? Not, I want to be exactly like him. I want to be like Jesus in every which way. How did he laugh? What did he laugh at? How did he tell a joke? What did he do? And Jesus says this about purpose. He says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, not if you feel like it, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you, and I will be with you. Actually, it says, and surely. That's a call. I will be with you until the very end of the age. I don't feel like it. Jesus says, suck it up, buttercup. Let's go. You want to know why? There's people in the darkness. They're dying. And we don't care. I don't think Jesus would like that. I think 
Jesus didn't come for us to just feel lackadaisical and sing, sing a couple songs right here so we feel good about ourselves. And then we leave and then we go to the churches that we're at and we're like, ooh, I feel good about myself. Why? Because I went to this spiritual conflict. I went to this complex and it was such amazing songs and the speakers were so good. And we do these things and we leave the mirror and we totally forget what we're supposed to look like. There's people in the darkness. And the bigger thing is the church today doesn't care. Jesus is not happy about that. So how do we fix this? I think we need to change one word from our vocabulary, all right? I want, I want us to look at the difference between bringing the light and inviting someone to the light, all right? Inviting people in the darkness, <clears throat> inviting people in the darkness to the light is sympathetic and, a, and to a person in, in, to in darkness needs. Sympathy is not a very, in uh, my opinion, not a very good thing. I don't think th- sympathy is what God would want us to have. I, I, I really think that inviting is sympathetic, but bringing someone is empathetic to someone who leaves, lives in the darkness. And, you know, I, I want to show a little video real quick that has that, that shows the difference between what empathy is and what sympathy is. Is inviting someone. Someone going, my life is a complete mess in every which way. Woo! Love that. Want a sandwich? We try to do that, do that in churches all the time. All the time. I feel like my life is falling apart because I lost my job. Oh, well, we have a potluck after church. At least you can have a meal right now. We laugh. I've seen that happen. I love that bringing someone involves me to connect with someone else and meet them on their level. You see, for so long, we've expected the darkness to pierce the light. And that's not what the verse says. It says that light came into the darkness. Light pierced the darkness, empathized with it, and brought it into the light because of connection and respective. He didn't look at it and go, man, that's bad. Figure it out. You know who said that? Zeus. He says that. Money says that. The American dream says that. Those are the things that do it. Empathy connects you with people, and it's living relationally, and it's super powerful. Bringing people is empathetic to people's needs in the darkness, and bringing someone is connecting with people. Well, I actually believe inviting someone to come to someone is it's something is judgment. You should come here because it's better. That means where I'm at is bad. Yeah, I'm judging you. That's not, we're not to judge. We're to empathize and connect and live in connectivity and relational living and bring those people to the light. And if we're going to bring them into the light, we have to live authentically in the light. To bring people to Christ, we have to live authentically. That's why that band didn't make any, any, any it didn't matter to me at all. Is because the people were not living authentically and they didn't teach me how to live authentically. I had no clue how to live authentically. It says this as Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do 
people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the light of this world, Paul says. I, I love how he put it in 1 Corinthians 11, 1. Follow my example as I follow Christ. Paul could not say that if he was not living authentic. If the light didn't look at him and go, there's something different about that guy. There's something different. While people in the darkness look at it and go, man, I'm after sex. I'm after money. I'm after all these things. And people in the light said, I don't need that anymore because I have a savior named Jesus. And he saved me from these things. And he taught me a better way. And these people in the darkness are going, I'm living life. YOLO, man, I got it. And people in the light are saying, that's not a life I want. Because life is worth living, and Jesus is the only one who can give it to us to the fullest. Those are the kind of people who live authentic lives. Can we truly be changed the darkness? It is so important. It is so important to live authentically. You know, and, and I think this is, how, this is how we do it. This is how you live authentically. My kids know how to eat a fork. I mean, eat, eat well, ugh. man. I said that wrong. <laughs> this is recorded, all right? <laughs> My kids know how to eat with a fork. They didn't learn that from me because I'm kind of a barbarian. I'm like, you know, and spaghetti night's terrible in our house. And, uh, but they learned, they learned, they, they, they eat with a fork. And I didn't, and Kelsey didn't sit down with Lily and Asher and say, hey, this is how you eat with a fork. You take the utensil and you put it in your right hand. And then you stab the food just so in a juxtaposed position and pinky up. And then you eat. And then you, no. You know how they learned how to eat a fork? By watching us. Did you know that's how people in the darkness learn how to be a believer in Christ? They watch you. It's the same concept. It's the exact same concept. We have to be authentic. We have to have a life where they look at it and go, I can model that. That's something I can be. A second, if we're going to be authentic, we have to be visible in the light. We have to be visible in the light. Uh, Isaiah 53.5 says this. But he, he's talking about Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us, pe- brought, uh, us peace was on him. And the most important part of that, and by his wounds, we are healed. Did you know that John says uh, in 2 John chapter 2, verse 6, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did? And if Jesus' wounds can heal... And if I'm acting and I am being in the light and Jesus has changed me, guess what my wounds do? Heal. It's those worst things in your life that the darkness learns the most through because you've connected with them. If, if Jesus didn't hide the worst time of his life for his people, neither should I. When was it the worst time in Jesus' life? I think it was somewhere in this position right here. And he said the whole world allowed him to see it. The whole world allowed him to see him at his worst moment. And guess what? I think the world should let us, and that's one thing the church doesn't do, but they should see us at our worst moment. Because it's not our best moment that's going to bring the darkness. It's when you are at your lowest moment and going, Jesus will overcome. I have faith. You don't know if it's going to work out. I don't. But I have faith that Jesus is Lord. 
We have to be visible in the light. We have to let the darkness see it. When I share my story, I can't tell you how many times someone comes up and says, you were abused as a child? You were in a mental institution? You had to do these things? You, I can't believe you would even say that in front of people. I've been trying to hide that my whole life. And then the healing begins through our classes at Brookside, through our healing as a choice classes. And you know them too, through your wounded heart classes, through your boiling point classes. That's how God starts to work. It's in those moments where in the last low that God goes, I can do something with that. And the world goes, I'm attracted to that. The people in the darkness are going, that's something different. The answer, I truly believe, is to bring people, live authentically with people, and be visible with people. Now, some things not to do. We cannot be negligent, all right? Uh, We cannot be negligent. We have to be intentional in everything we do when we're reaching people in the darkness. You have to be intentional with everything you do if you call yourself this, a Christian. Don't take one moment for granted. Every moment should be thought out. You know, we would never do this. We would never put a baby that was a newborn in the middle of the room and said, hey, fend for yourself when it cries. We would never, if it's sitting there crying in the middle of the room because it's hungry or it's thirsty, you're going to give it food. What kind of a hill, what kind of a jerk would I be if, if, if there was a kid in the middle of the room and he was a baby and someone wanted to come in and take advantage of that child? I'm like, he can defend himself because I was negligent. We don't do that to a physical child. So why that, do you do that with someone who's brand new in Christ? We look at it and we say, you should just figure it out. That's terrible. That's terrible. We cannot be negligent to people's needs in the darkness. People in the darkness's needs. We can't be negligent. We cannot look the other way any longer. The second thing we can't do is we can't be impatient. We have to be patient with the people in the darkness. This, you got to fight this temptation. You got to fight it in every which way. Someone that, that I, I can't tell you how many studies I've gotten to do. When I've done a study with someone, and then after one or two studies, they've walked away. They've left. And I'm like, man. And I hurt for those people, and I long for those people, and I pray for those people. And then like, six months, seven, eight months later, they show up again. I'm like, how are you doing? It didn't work out well for me at all. And they start bearing your heart. You have to fight this temptation. I told you so. You've just destroyed that relationship. We're supposed to empathize with them and cry with them. It's okay to ask them questions. And not, you can ask them tough questions. There's nothing wrong with that. But look in there and go, I told you this would happen. Person in the darkness, I know what I would do because I did it. I ain't moving any further. My heels are firmly in place. We have to be patient with people. And patient with people is on God's timing, not our timing. You know, uh, this is important if you're working with people, especially if you're working with addicts, and I've gotten to work with some of them. Uh, Their rock bottom is not your rock bottom. God has to completely break them in every which way. And we have to be patient in that process with God. That doesn't mean you're not there for him. That doesn't mean you don't care for him. But that means you're patient. 
And showing people in the darkness what grace and what grace has done in your life is one of the biggest things you can do for the darkness because they have no concept of what grace is. It's okay to be vocal about it and hurt with it. And it's okay to be honest. I can't tell you how many times that in my life when someone has come back and like, oh, all this stuff, I did all these things and all these things happened. I slept with all these people. I did all this stuff, everything that we said not to do. It's okay to ask this question. Well, how'd it work out for you? Nothing wrong to ask that. It's nothing wrong. Did it, did it bring something? Did, and it ask questions on, on how did that work? And make them answer the question. There's nothing wrong with that. There is something wrong with being impatient with the process of God and thinking you know more than God. That's what's wrong. The third thing is teach them, if we teach them to be fearful of the wrong things, that is detrimental to the people in the darkness. People in the darkness are afraid of the wrong things all the time. They're afraid of judgment of of you guys. They're afraid of coming into the light. They're afraid of being exposed. They're They're afraid of so many things. John 3.20 says this, everyone who hates sin hates the, or everyone who sins hates the light. He stays away from the light because his sinful, because his sin would be found out. Why the darkness hates the light is because it'll be exposed. And when we as believers stand on a hill, we let that light shine out. The darkness looks at it and goes, whoa. Why do we do that? Because we're not afraid of the, we're afraid of the right things. We're afraid of things like Proverbs 9, 10 that says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We fear God. That's why we do the things. It's okay to be afraid of God. You know, we can take this, we can take nearly every, every Bible, every Old Testament little example that we do to little kids. I really hate how we do Noah's Ark. If you ever colored a picture for Noah's Ark, everybody's smiling. Reading that in scripture, I don't really think that's a happy story because everybody but six people in the world died. I don't really think Noah was sitting there like, yeah, me and the lion just chilling out. Or Daniel and the lions did, where Daniel's smiling. Can you imagine, can you imagine the fear of Daniel right in that moment when he's in the lion's and he just got kicked in? You know these lions are hungry because you know what they do with these lions. You know that they can destroy you at any moment. Can you imagine the terror of him just sitting there in the darkness and going, God's better, I fear God, God's better, I fear God. And you got these lions prowling around over here and you realize they're not doing anything with you? Can you imagine the fear of going, God's better, God's better, God's better. If you hear the voice of God, I want you to touch the line. I don't need to touch this line. It's hungry. I don't want it to give the smell, all right? They haven't noticed I'm here, okay? And they're like, no, I want you to go to that line. Oh, God's better. I fear God. I fear God. I fear God. I fear God. And he's around the lion. Can you imagine the fear of Daniel? I'm not of the lion, but the God that shut the lion's mouth. How horrible would that story to be if Nebuchadnezzar opened up, this, opened up the thing and said, Daniel, down there, and he's in the cower like, they haven't seen me yet. No, it's opened up, and he's around those lions going, I'm here. 
because he feared the right things. We have to teach people in the darkness and, and, and show, not teach, we got to show people in the darkness to be afraid of the right things. And when the darkness come in contact with things like negligence and patience and fearing the wrong things, two things will happen. Can you get that clip ready real quick? Two things will happen if we teach them to fear the wrong things. Let's watch this real quick. We the ghost in the darkness, and I didn't set it up on purpose because that's how bad it attacks. Because you're going to realize something's wrong. You see, where they were is they were in Shavaho, Africa, and these people just started disappearing left and right, and they had no clue where the people went. They had no clue what was going on. It was rumored that it was a lion. And all we know is that these people were sitting there, and they were going, we're losing our people. I mean, we're talking 100 people were gone. And they're like, Where, what happened to them? So two men started hunting and they started looking to see what had taken the people and they stumble onto this. They stumbled on a monster. They stumbled on something that was truly terrifying. They ended up being two lions that just killed people because it was fun. They're called the ghost in the darkness. And they would kill people over and over and over again. You see, when we take people and we are negligent with them, we are impatient with them, and we teach them to fear the wrong things, two things will happen, and they both happened in that clip. They will either be the bones or they will be the monster that ate them. We have to live authentic, visible lives in the light. We have to. We have to bring people to Jesus. We have to empathize with them. We have to love them. We have to truly connect with them where they are and saying there's not a problem in your life that my God cannot handle. And if you want to bring people to the light, then we must live in the light. We must be in the light. Joining others Joining, your, joining the others while bringing people to Jesus. You can't do it on your own. God never called us to be spiritual Rambos. You need your church around you. We must live authentically with Jesus in the light. That means your actions are what Jesus would be. You are in the scriptures. You are reading. You are loving. You are going with Christ. You are allowing the Holy Spirit to teach you things. You know, this is a big thing amongst men right now is that they don't like to read. Actually, that's amongst most with everyone, is I don't like to read. And you heard me use this analogy before, but it's, it, it's so true. You don't come up to a stop sign and go, nope, not doing it. No, you read the stop sign because it says stop. You don't know you, you have to read. And the reason why the church is being not, not being impactful is because we're not in God's word. And we're not allowing the word to pierce us and to connect. And we're not living that out with other people. We must visibly be vulnerable because Jesus is the light and teach the world there's not anything in everything, there's not anything in your life that Jesus can't handle. Living this way is attracted to the people in the darkness. Don't forget they are, that you are an important part of God's kingdom. You are fearfully and wonderful made. If you are living this way today, continue as you're doing and encourage the people around you to do it. But if you're not, it is not too late. 
You can start today and say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it and step into the light and be that light on the hill to people in the darkness all around you. We can bring them. We can do it, guys. We can do it. If everyone, in, can you imagine what Jesus would do if we had this many disciples in the room? He was thrilled over 12. What would he do with 80? Imagine what he could do if we live in the light. Imagine if we loved Jesus more than we loved coffee. Imagine if we needed Jesus more than we wanted food. Imagine that. There's a day that it can be, and I believe it with every ounce of my heart. We can do it. Jesus says, you can do it, but you gotta be salt and light. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for everything you've done. Thank you for everything you are, Father God. God, let us not be negligent and impatient and teach people to fear the wrong things, Father God. Instead, let us bring people to you, Father God. Let us connect with them and love them in a way that's truly amazing. And God, I also pray that we live authentic and visible lives in you, Father God. God, I didn't say this in the lesson, but it's so true. That monster in that movie that we just saw, Father God, was me. I'm the one that destroyed so many, and we can't forget that there are people, too, that can change. God, you see value in us. Why you see value, I don't get sometimes, but I just know that you see value. I thank you every day for what you're doing. I thank you for every day who you are. God, now let us get it and walk and start bringing people to the light. In your holy name I pray, amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.